Welcome to a Better Divorce podcast where we have conversations about the emotional, financial, and legal issues that are on your mind or should be on your radar if your goal is to keep your divorce out of court. I'm collaborative divorce attorney and mediator Andrea Vaca, and I know that how you divorce matters to your long-term well-being. That's why it's my mission to help you have a better divorce with as little acrimony as possible so that you can create the best life possible on the other side of your marriage. Hi, everyone. I'm so happy to welcome Julia Hoagland to a Better Divorce podcast today to talk about one of the most common issues that come up in divorce, and that's how to sell a home and get as much as possible out of the deal. Julia is associated with Compass and is the principal and founder of the Julia Hoagland team there, which is one of the top ranking residential real estate teams in Manhattan. And Julia and I have known each other for many years, and I've seen what sets her apart is this data-driven approach, probably from her background as an engineer, and um, just this way of looking at, at the market in, and, um, and allows her and her team to really get the best results for their clients. So I wanted to cover this topic today because when a divorcing couple owns a home, um, there are usually two main ways that they deal with it. Either one person buys the other out or they decide to sell and divide the proceeds. So as soon as we know as divorce attorneys that a couple is, is going to be selling the home, my job is to make sure all the important details that are related to the sale are agreed upon in advance and written out clearly in the separation agreement that we're helping the couple to negotiate. So Julia, I wanna make sure we're doing the right thing on our side and how it's what you would suggest, because we, you know, maybe there's a disconnect here, probably not, but I wanna make sure that we're doing what we need to do for our clients so that they can get the best outcome with you. So, so welcome to the podcast today. Thank you so much for having me, Andrea. Happy to be here. Uh, great to have you here. So, so Julia, let's talk about what you know the different issues that come up when some when a couple is deciding to sell the home that they've been living in maybe for many years, um, and they want to sell it as quickly as possible and get the most money as possible. So, from my point of view, the first step is you need to choose an agent. Like you need to figure out who's going to help you sell this home. Very few clients decide to do it themselves, and for a divorcing couple, it's not the time to start trying to sell a home on your own. So you generally need professional guidance. So let's talk, I'd like to know your opinion. Do you think it's important or necessary for you know divorcing spouses to each have their own agent or would it be best if they work with one? And, and, and then how do they best communicate under either of those circumstances? Very salient questions, and I love the uh, your approach has been and is collaborative, and that's my approach as well. And it's so important, even though the couple is getting divorced, so there is a separation there, clearly, uh, per se. But it, it, if it's done collaboratively, collaboratively on my side, it's also uh, the best way to go. So in terms of whether to have one agent or both agents, I mean, or more than one agent, it's not uncommon with divorcing couples to uh, have each of them have a relationship with with a broker. And despite the fact that two brokers, and I'll tell you a specific story in a second, um, may be completely competent and, and capable and, and expert at what they do, it's almost, it's so important to choose one. And that's the, the old adage that having too many chefs in the kitchen comes to mind, because as 
much as we have very good intentions of trying to work well together and trying to still do our jobs and maximize value for the clients, which is what we do at the end of the day, it, it's impossible not to step on each other's toes. If you have two finely oiled machines um, trying with very little preparation to try and to literally merge themselves together, just it's it's impossible not to have things uh, to have efficiencies, inefficiencies created. Um, so the story that I can think of in terms of this happening is, you know, having a, a couple that we were working with, again, situation, they, I knew the wife, another broker, seasoned broker knew the husband, and they wanted to work with their, you know, individual uh, uh, relationships, which is understandable. I get that. And as I said, exactly what happened, happened. We just ended up like trying to be polite and, and make sure that we were giving each other a heads up in terms of what we were doing and when. Uh, and it ended up creating all of these inefficiencies. So what I recommend in these cases is to choose one of the two brokers and have the chosen broker pay the other broker a referral fee if, if the parties are really interested in treating their contacts fairly. Um, if that's not possible to be done, if they really don't want to use one, their own or neither of them, then have those two brokers get together and choose a third broker or have an independent party choose a third broker that, that nobody knows. That's a great idea. Yeah, because, you know, some people say, oh, my my good friend is a broker and I want to give her the work. And the other person says, well, there's this guy in my, that always advertises in our building and I want to use him. And I know the guy upstairs used him. So, you know, they, it's a, with the best intentions that they think their broker would be do the best job but I, I like this idea of you know pick one yeah you know, pick one and let them pay a referral fee to the other so that exactly. everybody's getting their cut you're getting the same the brokers are making the same money but the, the deal will get done more efficient efficiently and effectively exactly so what if they now decide though that they just want to work with you or one agent um, what is the best way for a divorcing couple who might be in the middle of a divorce or towards the end or already divorced? Maybe communication is still tense. They're not, you know, they're not living together. <laughs> uh, maybe. Um, how do they best communicate with you? Like, what's the best way for a couple to to work with you, you know, together? It's we love to meet our clients where they are to the extent that it's in their best interests. And so by all means, our, our goal um, from a human's perspective is just to make things as easy as possible in what is likely a pretty difficult time. That said, it's so critical to establish clear lines of communication on each step of the transaction in terms of who is going to be on the calls when we have questions about marketing or exposure uh, and even more importantly, when we have a deal come in, who are we going to be able to count on being there to answer questions about response to negotiations? And that can be both parties. If both parties are committed to being <laughs> in the, the place that we need them to be at, at that time and real estate transactions unfold on their own schedules. And so it's just hard to know exactly when that's going to be. Um, we had a uh, our first divorcing client that we worked with many years ago. Um, the wife was living in the apartment still that they were trying to sell. And the husband decided, and it's to his own volition, uh, no judgment whatsoever, but decided to go on a six-week safari in Africa. <laughs> and there was no way to get a hold of him. We had a deal on the table. And 
time kills deals uh, is again the best thing I can use as an as an old adage because it's it was so lucky that time didn't kill that deal. We had a very understanding buyer who was willing to wait, understood the situation, but you don't want to lose. I mean, it really just is about not losing money by losing deals by virtue of someone not being able to be to uh, have have able to connect with. So in that situation where hopefully he had a lovely safari and came back and lucky him, he still had a deal to sell his home. But in that, to, if, if a couple knows that one person will not be available physically, um, telephonically, <laughs> by the internet, to say yes or no, to make decisions, um, do you ever have them give the other power of attorney or do they just, you know, how do they handle that? Like, you know, what, what would somebody do if they know that one person won't be available, whether it's emotional or physical? Power of attorney is a magical thing. If it can be, <laughs> it can be actually imparted. I've never had that uh, be agreed to um, personally. I mean, it, it, it's a, it's a great thing in concept, but I can only imagine I've never been through a divorce, but there's a, a sense of loss of control over a number of different areas of, of life. And, and so it's hard to get one party to give the other party complete control over decisions. So what I try and do to suggest something that might be you know fair is, okay, one person is going to have the decision on preparing the property and one person is going to have the decision on when the property is able to be shown. And then one person is going to have the decision on you know, the negotiations of the deal. And, you know, assuming that both parties are truly interested in maximizing value, which is often, most often something that even divorcing couples can agree on. <laughs> they just want the most money at the end of the day. It gets it, it makes it a little easier to cede control over that one piece if they have control over other pieces. I like it. Zones of uh, decision-making. Yes. We do, we, we do that sometimes. We see that in high conflict parenting situations. Um, one parent will have an influence over education, the other over medical, <laughs> another for their children. <laughs> um, but this, you know, you can do that for a simple short period of time with regard to a deal like this, you know, selling yeah. your home. So that's great to know, good to mm -hmm. think about. <laughs> so now what we also, so we'll encourage people to find a broker, of course. Can you agree on a broker? Hopefully you can. If they can't, we'll refer them to somebody. They usually know somebody, as you mentioned. But then we also uh, encourage our clients to agree in advance on how to set the listing price and how to plan for price adjustments if the, pro if the property doesn't sell as quickly as they would have hoped. So we realize that our client, and, in, and at this moment in time, maybe they'll be like, we don't need to do that. We'll figure it out then. We'll figure out how to reduce the price. I'm sure we'll agree. And I know better because <laughs> I've been doing this a long time that it's unlikely that they will be in the same exact spot at that moment in time and their outlook. So for example, where one person is living in the home and the other one has moved out, the person living in the home might not feel the need to sell if they're comfortable. They mm -hmm. want to get the most money. They don't want to reduce the price yet. They want to give it more time. The person who's moved out says, I want my money. I want to buy something new. You know, come on, we got to get this done. I think we should reduce it and let's see what we can do. So do you agree that we're doing the right thing on our side, on, on the agreements and the contracts we're putting together for our clients that price reductions are going to be worked in ahead of time and thought about ahead of time? Is that prudent to do it that way? A hundred percent. And what's interesting about what you just said is, one party might not be as much in a hurry because maybe they're living in the home. 
and they want the most money, whereas the other party wants their money now. The beauty of that is that the most money for a real estate transaction is always had within the first four to six weeks of marketing. And that's why we're so uh, committed to trying to convey the importance of strategic pricing out of the gate because we don't set the price, the market sets the price. What we do is make sure that we present the property in the best way possible, we expose it to the maximum number of target markets as we can in as condensed a time frame as we can, and we price strategically so that those target markets that we're doing all this work to attach, uh, to attract people to this property that we've done all this work to present are the ones that are looking in that right price point. And that's, you know, if we're missing that mark, we miss, you know, you get one chance to make a first impression. Um, we miss that chance. And we, even if we do have a plan to adjust, we are not adjusting in the optimal market. So that all being said, it doesn't always work out that people will take the advice of strategic uh, pricing. And so with a plan in place, you have at least the ability to make sure that the property does sell as opposed to just sitting on the market and getting stale, which all that does is take money out of sellers' pockets. Okay. We had a divorcing couple once, exact same situation. The wife lived in the property, although interestingly enough, she was the one that was more motivated to, to sell and, and move on. Um, the husband did not. Um, and the husband, uh, this is a co-exclusive situation that we talked about earlier. He had his own broker. Um, she had me. We, I had more experience, I'll just say, in the market. And I, could, and I had seen the property. The other broker put a crazy high price without even having seen the property. We agreed to price in the middle of, of where we thought, but still much higher than the market was. And we ended up, we had that the 5%, um, it was 5% every four weeks until we had a signed contract was the agreement, thankfully, that was put in place. We ended up adjusting five times and sitting on the market six months. We did finally sell, but I am without a doubt convinced if we had priced strategically out of the gate, we would have sold quick, more quickly and for a higher price. Wow. Well, you know. That's uh, the next time you have a co-broker, you can share that story. <laughs> exactly. Let's try my way. Yeah, I mean, wow. it's a proven method. It does work. Um, but again, people are emotional and you can put logic in front of people all day long. And we all, myself included, make emotional decisions at the end of the day. And I don't know if there's any other than children. There's nothing more emotional that people get it are feeling emotional towards in their home in a divorce. Yeah. It, it brings up so many emotions and feelings and, you know, hopes and dreams and regrets and, 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 you know, financial security. There's so much that goes into that. So yeah. taking, letting agreements to be made before you get emotional about it is really the best way to do it. So um, yeah. So you talked about, you know, setting the listing price. Um, um, and you know market exposure so can you say say a little bit more about what you mean by that like how do you what do you do <laughs> to to uh go to the right be, be in front of the right people with the right number and the, you know how do you use your data and your analysis to do that so the our job is to maximize value for our clients. That's basically what it comes down to. And our interests are aligned with our clients. We get paid on a percentage of sales price. So we're very motivated to have that price be as high as possible along with our clients. 
selling real estate for maximum value, it's not rocket science what we do, um, but it does take an intense uh, focus on three key pillars, expert marketing and presentation, maximum and comprehensive exposure and strategic pricing, as I mentioned earlier. And so if when you get those three things right, you can truly clear the market and maximize value. And that that strategy works for any asset, really, be it hair dryers or copper <laughs> or real estate. Um, and so to market and present the property, we recommend staging. We, um, you know, it's the non-financial value of real estate is not to be underestimated, especially residential real estate. Because once you can connect with the emotional side of buyer psyche and get them to want the property, they stop caring as much about how much it costs. And that's when sellers really win. And that's what we do with staging is to help buyers imagine themselves and their families in this home. Um, and it's just, it's great to see that. How, you can see it actually when it's transpiring in people's, in people's heads. Uh, and then the exposure piece, we, our job is to identify the maximum number of target markets that we think might have the one and exactly one buyer we need in them. And we don't know where that buyer is going to come from. It could come from anywhere. So we go full on out. Compass has a number of technological tools that enable us to do that in a very condensed time frame. The ideal situation is if we have multiple bidders at once, because people want what other people want. And, you know, you have someone that's bidding under the asking price, you know, 10% under, and then you have someone else that comes in and bids, suddenly that person is bidding ask or above. I mean, it's it's all, it's it's a lot of strategy and it's a lot of operating as the market gives us information, we can then adjust and, and pivot quickly uh, to meet the market where the market is. And then that strategic pricing, again, is to just ensure that we're, People that are looking at real estate are looking in a band. You know, anytime that we search for real estate, we say we want to look up to X dollars. If we're in that that area, but we're we look much worse than anything else that's priced in that area, we're going to be overlooked. And so that's why it's so important to get in the right range. And again, it's just a asking price is not a prediction; it's a strategy. Right. Well, you, you refer to your, we, you know, your team a lot. So I'm sure everybody has a role in, 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 in all of this, this process from communicating with the client to setting the price to dealing with the other brokers or the other, the attorneys or whoever else is involved here. So, but sometimes, you know, there are other agents out there that are, um, I don't know, just work alone. Don't work in a team. So, you know, with all of the things that you would be doing, like what is the benefit or is, I assume you'll say there's a benefit. So, but what's, what's the difference someone should expect by working with an individual agent versus a team? Like what, what will happen differently there? If you can talk, talk about that. Yes, of course. In 2005, I started this business by myself and I did everything. And I quickly learned uh, within the first year I had hired my first teammate, we're now eight people. And the reason that I went this direction and there are a lot of ways to skin the cat, but real estate transactions unfold on their own schedules, not on mine and not on anyone on my teams. And there's a myriad of critical and oftentimes sensitive details to attend to in any part of the process, which is huge. Starts from the preparation to the exposure, to the marketing, to the showing, to the diligence collection, to the negotiating, to the um, appraisals and inspectors and all of these things. There's a lot going on. And 
I'm not good at all of those pieces. And my team is not good at everything I do. And, and so it's a, for two main reasons. Uh, I felt a team is the best way to serve our clients' interests. One is so that the transactions get attended to when they need attending and not when I'm available to attend to them. And two, people that are using a team, and it could be my team or another team, but um, are getting the benefit of multiple heads of seasoned levels of expertise for the price, the same price that they're going to pay for an individual agent. So I, yes, I believe in the team concept because I know it helps me and my team serve our clients best. Um, I suspect anyone that's an independent agent will have their own reasons for why it's best to be working with an independent agent. And I respect that. Um, but having done both, I know for a fact <laughs> that at least for us and our clients, this way works best. Okay. Well, I'm a huge proponent of the team approach, whether it's for your divorce and having the right divorce team or here in my office, I, I can't do everything. I want my team to be helping and serving our clients when I can't be available, just like you mm -hmm. said. Right. It's about time and um, and, um, you know, what uh, what everyone's good at, you know. Yeah. So I, I, I completely get that. So what you mentioned um, about um, staging. So I wanted to talk a little bit about that because um, that's, you know, we'll often um, my clients will often agree. We will share the cost to get the home prepared for sale and the painting and the minor repairs and the refinishing the floors or whatever it is like those things are fine everyone will agree that needs to be done mm -hmm. but the one thing that they might not agree on is staging and so whether it's a home where they've already moved out and there's no furniture in it or it's just it's been a very cluttered home or it's very um you know they've lived in it for years and there's all their personal things in there um what it, you know I know brokers often recommend staging. So can you talk a little bit about that? Like wh under what circumstances do you recommend it and, and to what extent, what does staging mean? You could, is it bringing, is it getting stuff out and staging it? Or is it bringing stuff in? <laughs> like what, what are we talking about with staging? It's a great question and the answers are varied and it depends on what the um, state of affairs is in the space. It's, Almost, uh, I can say that less than 5% of our cases have we not done anything to because they're just like designer or properties as it is. And that, you know, some people do live like that. Um, it's unusual, especially in cases of divorce, um, because the two parties are, have at least until very recently been cohabitating in, in the space or maybe still are. I go back to the non-financial value of real estate being what truly drives value beyond that which any numbers can can argue for because people form an, an emotional connection with a space and one specific example to to finish the answer to your to your question is we were working with a divorcing couple and um the husband or the wife, I can't actually remember who was moving out now, had was like halfway moved out at that time. And, and they were kind of, you know, it was rapid fire. We and I understand, again, they're like, they're just done, and they want to be done. And they just want to move on. And so as fast as everything can happen, that's how, how fast they want it to happen. And so there were, you know, the closets were half empty, and there were hangers askew, and there were boxes and corners, and there were this, you know, and it was, and they wanted to get the property on the market right away. And we were begging them, please don't do this. <laughs> It's not, it's not in your best interest. Just wait. 
move move out, um, declutter, uh, you know, we'll, we'll help you. We have a team. We can recommend, um, you know, organizers, all of these things. They insisted on, on having us list. And we spent weeks trying to share the property. I mean, we did share the property and did our best. Um, but what people see is a home that's split, that's clearly messy and unhappy and you know, it's, and that's, that's like real, that that no one wants to buy that. They don't, I mean, this is going to be their home. They don't, it's like, there's not a good feeling around it. We finally got them after a few, uh, several weeks to take the property off the market, stage it, um, which in that case didn't mean bringing in a lot or spending even a huge amount of money. It just, we'll put together a three page staging, it's three, two, four, depending on the property uh, consultation, we call it staging consultation. And for properties that are already furnished and have, you know, the scale, that necessary scale in them, it's often about taking away three quarters of what's in the property. We'll stage bookshelves, which sounds silly, but it does just like, you know, it's never the way that you would live in a property, but that's not important. <laughs> it's important not to distract buyers um, from the real estate that they're buying with what's in the real estate that's being sold. And so that's really what, what staging comes down to is providing perspective. And so if there isn't furniture, we do recommend professional staging, which we can again coordinate um, or decluttering. And again, making sure the real estate is what's being seen as opposed to what's in the real estate. Such a good point. You know, the, the, you, know you walk into a space, you're feeling the energy. And if it's been this sad half you know, like the sad couple not living happily, they've left half their stuff, the, the, that image of the hangers askew. And I mean, no one, like, absolutely, it's going to repel people. So, so exactly. happy that couple listened to you. I mean, I know when you can, you do bring in, you, you know, stage like, you know, all, all kinds of furniture and carpets and that can be done. But my understanding, if it, let me know if this is correct, that you don't need to put the money out of pocket. The, some, some, companies will pay for that, like Compass might, or your team, I don't know who does it, would pay and then take it out of the proceeds of the sale, right? So they don't have to put the money up front. Is that no. correct? At Compass, and I, I don't know the situation with other agencies, whether they're doing this or not, but Compass did start something and was a pioneer actually in this concept of, we call it Compass Concierge. And it's a an interest-free loan for up to 12 months um, that basically will pay for staging and preparation for the home, um, which, you know, to Compass's credit, it's in Compass's best interest. They're making money when properties sell for higher prices. The agents are making money for when properties sell for higher prices and the clients are happy and more likely to <laughs> to uh, provide re repeat business. So it's, it's just such a win-win concept. And yet it avoids having any money come out of pocket, which in a divorce, I would imagine is even better because then you don't need to figure out whose money the pocket is coming out of, whose pocket the money is coming out of. It, 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 absolutely. So it's a win, win, win for everybody. And mm -hmm. I had, I had a client, I think I had a broker from compass. That's how I, 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 I now I think about it. And this home had been um, um, a hoarder's home and then all the stuff was out and my client didn't live there anymore. He mm -hmm. hired the, you know, he had, the staging come in. I think he paid, it was like $30,000 worth of staging, but yeah. he got, I mean, it sold in three weeks, this home that never would have sold. 
it sold in three weeks and for more than he expected, it sold over listing. So Amazing. it was, I don't remember the exact amount, but totally got their $30,000 back return on that investment. So always, um, yes. So thank you so much. This is, I mean, it, you know, it really helps me to know that what we imagine is happening out there <laughs> and helping the, the way we want to help our clients work best with you. Uh, we're, we're on the right track here. And, yes. uh, and, 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 to be able to tell them like, this is, you know, why, not that they push back on it, but there's a basis for this, why we're asking you to do all these things. And, mm -hmm. and hopefully the home will be sold very quickly when they yes. reach out to you. So um, one thing I'm, I'm asking all my um, guests is if, if there's one from your perspective, if, if, is there one um, tip that you would give somebody for a better divorce? What's your better divorce tip? My better divorce tip is to trust the advisors that you're investing a lot of money in and let us do our jobs because it's going to be in the best interests of your bottom line at the end of the day. As I mentioned earlier, I can only imagine, and I am a control lover <laughs> myself, <laughs> but I can only imagine going through a divorce and, and having what I would, what I would imagine is a, a loss of control over a lot of aspects. Take the, uh, uh, the fact that you have a team of trusted advisors around you that, again, you're investing quite a bit of money in and just step back, let them do the things that we do the best so that you can, you, the divorcing couple can focus on things that we can't help you with. Right. Exactly. All right. I love that. And, um, yeah, they don't have to control everything. I'm a control. I can be a control lover too. Yeah. <laughs> but just like you don't know everything um you don't know everything ever so look you know you're paying these people good money me yeah. you everybody else right and we've done this and we're all out there to help you so so julia thank you so how can people find you what's the best way to reach out if they if anyone wants to talk to you i appreciate your asking jhoagland.compass.com um and my cell phone is 646-696-1372 all right. Well, thank you so much. And it's been, it's been great having you. And this has been another episode of A Better Divorce Podcast. Thank you for tuning in and we'll catch you on the next episode. You've been tuning in to another episode of A Better Divorce Podcast with Andrea Vaca. Thank you for subscribing, leaving your positive comments and reviews and sharing the show with others. You can watch episodes at vacalaw.com YouTube, LinkedIn, and Facebook. And you can listen through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more. Bye for now. And remember, you can have a better divorce.